0: Catholic stuff you should know. The J10 Initiative. Hello, we're back. Round two today. You're Come hearing on. this like six weeks later, but Father Mike and oh, Jason Machado. We're rotation. Yeah, we're Father coming Mike. In. I don't know how we're dun, doing this dun, rotation. Dun, 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 um, dun, dun, dun. As we, uh, uh, if you listen to our last one, we talked about animals animal symbology yeah is that is that the right word be the lamb <laughs> uh and now we're mutton, back mutton cakes now Mutton we're chops. Back. so we took a little coffee break a little walk around we saw uh brother charbel shout out brother charbel He's, uh can i have favorites in the franciscans because he'd be my favorite
1: i can't i can't <laughs> i can't because i have like all of them are my favorites except two
0: <laughs> Guess who? No, uh, Brother Charbel has been here at the seminary uh, studying philosophy the last two years. This will be his last year with us before he heads down to somewhere in Texas. Texas. Uh,
1: that's as much as I know, too.
0: They it's do their Dallas, theology yeah.
1: studies down there. down there. He was a part of the Larsh community. I didn't I didn't remember that. It se- seemed faintly familiar, but he mentioned yeah. that this time. Pretend like we don't know what the large community is. Large community is a... Um, a movement started by one Jean Vanier in I believe the Pacific Northwest where they formed small Christian communities, households, with half of the people being uh, mentally handicapped and then half of the people not having mental handicaps Mm -hmm. and everybody living in community. So there's an exercise of charity and an openness to be served by mentally handicapped folks. And then also... Just a a reality that um, community life is the the life of the Christian, yeah you know so it 's not like I live alone and then I go and travel and do charity work and mm-hmm. then come back
0: but you 're my mission and I get back to my life right exactly there 's a wonderful i can 't remember the title of it but there's a wonderful documentary on Jean Vanier and the the communities that that grew up, kind of with him starting so and l'Arche means it 's French for the arc. the arc you know the arc
1: of <laughs> The uh, ship, the boat, Noah's Ark. Yes. A place of peace
0: that rises above the waters of madness. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. What else? What else is going on? we wasted all our banter last, uh, <laughs> <laughs> last hour. <laughs>
1: um, it's true. <laughs> and, and only because I'm, I'm kind of tired and... Um, worn out. Let's see, what do we want to banter about? We could banter about... The Wind in the Willows.
0: The Wind in the... And yeah. And Frog and Toad. Right. And uh, other books that you read as a child.
1: Forth, um, Father Charbel, Brother Charbel brother, brother, almost Father Charbel, said that his animal for the an, uh, emblematic animal oh, yeah, for throwback. the Franciscans should be the badger. Badger. But it was just random. He didn't yeah. take time to think. He just threw out badger and then Upon question, and then he told me something interesting. Here's a good Catholic fact you should know. He he called the show "Catholic Things You Should Ignore." It's <laughs> <laughs> probably a good good alternative. The he said that the the Francis tamed Saint Francis tamed a wolf of Gubbio. This place mm. is called Gubbio. The wolf, I believe, was going to attack some children, and it was rabid or it had already been hard to tame. And he went and tamed the wolf. Or just prayed and then miraculously, you know, the, the wolf calmed down. Part of the lore around his being an animal guy, and he's often depicted with the wolf. But uh, Brother Charbel told me that the the wolf's relics, the bones of the wolf, are buried and marked in a tomb at the church in Gubbio. Oh. Uh, it's the only like. That's cool. Wolf reliquary, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> that was super cool. I love it. You know, I never thought about this, but now that I'm considering this, do you think Jesus had pets? As a kid? See, now you could get real, like, historical about Maybe, this. Maybe, probably. And find out if there were pets back in that day. I bet, I mean. But I don't know, actually. I haven't, I can't say I wouldn't, be, say I wouldn't be
0: surprised, but also who knows. What would you do?
1: They have, they, you know what, they have, like, parrots, like parakeets <laughs> and stuff, like really pretty birds but I don't know if they had, and you could always have a cage, but.
0: I mean, you had your, you had your farm animals. You had, some had cows and. But he was a city guy, wasn't he? Kind of. But even the city, we had the, um, they'd keep their animals kind of in the front room. Uh, The stable, oftentimes like the the stable area was usually kind of attached to the house for warmth.
1: He says before the rooster crows three times, (laughs) he knows he must've had a rooster.
0: As a rooster. Because he knows the and timing. Knows, and
1: they know they crow three times in the morning. Oh, wait a no. minute. Everybody knows roosters <laughs> crow in the morning. Um,
0: what else for animals?
1: Lions.
0: Donkeys. Lambs. I mean, donkeys. That There was a donkey tied up in he, the town. That he was born was sent as apostles with an os,
1: ox and an ass. Yeah. Okay. Whether he had them or not. The sheep? He, I'm a good shepherd. Maybe he had a lamb. Ooh. That'd be know. fitting, you know, being a shepherd a little bit. I mean... Yeah, Pope Francis mm-hmm. says, smell like your sheep. Um, I don't know what else. Did you have pets? I
0: can't I remember had, if you had I, pets. I think I've probably told this. I've had, I had a hamster. Oh, yeah, we've talked a about hamster, this. And, that and that was a school it. pets. Yeah, yeah. That, was, yeah. that was the only one.
1: If you could have a um, bird of prey, would you? Ooh. What do they call that falconing? Falconing?
0: Connor <laughs> Ryan, the falconer. Is he? Yeah, Connor Ryan. Connor a Ryan is in everything for, uh, Diocese of Pueblo, Colorado, and he is a falconer. He has trapped and trained falcons. Um, is it um, how do you get them yeah, how do you train them
1: with mice? I have no idea. We'll oh, bring okay. him on sometime. Yeah, we no. need Connor Ryan, the Falconer. <laughs> he,
0: he's literally like one of the most interesting people you will ever meet. A miner, a Falconer, a you pilot. You know what?
1: He just finished my class. I do feel a little bit more freedom interacting with the seminarians in a goofy way. Yeah. Once I'm not their teacher. Fair. And I don't. I don't know what that is exactly. A respect thing. A professionalism thing. Um. That's and that's not an absolute. I just like I do like to be playful with the students, but I also don't want to waste their time. Or you know, they need a little <laughs> bit of you need some, a little bit of credibility in the classroom. But I am curious to know Connor Ryan because he's everybody's yeah. saying, "Oh, yeah. that guy's that guy has got
0: very interesting type of Renaissance man. Mm-hmm. He's fun to live with. He's at uh, Our Lady of Lords house with me, and yeah, he's just got when it's his time to preach. Like we yeah. get fervorinos." Uh, when, when you're not ordained You kind of after evening prayer Might give a Fervorino reflection type thing And his are just always They're so like salt of the earth Like kind of terrestrial Because he was totally. a miner So he's got these analogies of like the mine Or he's a pilot he He's flies, a miner? Yeah For what, coal? He mined gold up in Alaska <laughs>
1: oh, dear, see? I'm <laughs> telling <laughs> you The falconer <laughs> He's like a legend He's a legend he, who walks he flies, among us
0: He flies like a little Cessna plane <laughs> I've um, heard that part. And uh, so he's got analogies about, you know, pilot stuff. I this guy know. is he's nuts. He's great.
1: What a cool guy. You're going to have him as your pastor someday, out, way out in the
0: country there. Yeah. I hope, yeah, he's Pueblo. So uh, the whole western slope, Olathe, Telluride, Uray. it's Crested Butte. Um, yeah, Crested Butte Pueblo. And then, yeah, up and around. Grand Junction. San Luis Valley.
1: Junction is the big city, but yep. Pueblo too, I guess. Yep. Alamosa, Durango. But. Oh, cool. Well, <laughs> we, got, we
0: got off the kids' books, but that's fine.
1: Oh yeah, so we're gonna uh, get to the. We're, we're gonna. We were trying to remember where the badger is. Yeah, and we're saying. Is well, it, I
0: said Redwall because there was a badger in what, Redwall. I thought right. Mr. Toad. Yeah, toad and the there, Frog. I don't Frog, think there, there was, the was toad, any badger in that. But
1: there wasn't. And then there was Wind in the Willows. Well, you said a Wrinkle in Time. First. Wrinkle in
0: Time. <laughs> I, like, I don't think there's
1: a badger. No badger. That. After all. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a, Wind in the Willows, which Winnie I, the Pooh. I haven't read.
0: I don't know the badger. Winnie the Pooh now.
1: And then Wind in the Willows. I remember. See, I don't remember many of these books, so then I was telling uh, the good Deacon that we need to read these books again. Yep. And we're going to set up a, a book Literature
0: list. club for all of the like children's, childhood books we read growing up. Because I think there's a lot of wisdom. Oh, sure. In children's books. Oh, sure. At least the good ones.
1: And I don't know. I could yeah. just revisit I think as you follow the, the breadcrumbs back, mm-hmm. you, it kind of opens
0: the horizon and you're reminded of things. And well, I really like being reminded of. It triggers your memory of the time or it can kind of help you understand uh, kind of where you got ideas from, especially like those, those original seeds of ideas you get as a kid. Oh, yeah. Because I read a lot of Redwall. I read the Magic Treehouse books. Oh, yeah. Uh, I read Curious George books. is probably why I'm still overly curious and get myself in trouble. Does he have lots of hats? Uh, why do I think of uh, hats it, There's that the man in the yellow hat is his human oh, yeah. owner. the guy. <laughs> that's why. Um, but I wrote, so Father John Nepple loves to have us uh, write our papers in dialogue with some work of literature. Kind of that's the the scope he usually puts on us for our papers during class. And so I wrote one on, I believe it was the princess and the goblin, but there's also the princess and Curdy, which is a two part novel by Arthur Macdonald. I think George Macdonald. I'm going to kill that one. Um <laughs> fact, fact check that. Uh, he was a Scottish um, Protestant author who wrote kind of these fairy tale stories, but J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were both inspired by him, and uh, his idea right. of um, the fairy story being able to encapsulate and pass on universal, eternal truths. Oh yeah, um, and particularly this story, the the Princess and the Goblin, Princess Kirby. There's so many wonderful analogies in it, just mm. for like the the Christian life, the journey. Um, the pilgrim the hero the yeah is it you know they had this famous sort of disagreement about
1: this is Tolkien and Lewis about allegory yeah is it it sounds like it might land more on C.S. Lewis where you're going to use motifs from the sacred world but you're not doing a strict allegory wasn't it Lewis who said, try to avoid the strict... Or was no, it the other Tolkien, way? No, Tolkien Because right, Lewis, Lewis has for his being too strict allegory, Aslan, the one-to-one kind Aslan of Aslan is characters. Jesus kind of thing. Whereas Tolkien, ah. clearly
0: he writes a Catholic story because he has a Catholic worldview, but I there's see. no particular, like, I am writing Aragorn to be Jesus. Um, it's, it's a lot more. Each character has parts yeah. of, of different characters. And virtues
1: not. of. There is kind of a big plot of Save the World. Yeah. But... You're right. Okay. I see. So, so, but you're saying he's more like the Tolkien where um, you're going to tell stories that are both. deeply pregnant with the, yeah, the Christian themes and...
0: Yeah. I want to say it was C.S. Lewis who said, McDonald... Well, he said, uh, Thomas Aquinas baptized my intellect. McDonald baptized my imagination. Uh, I've heard this. I think that I've was heard Lewis. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just this idea of having having allegory, having story, fairy story, narrative, um, be able to, to speak of deeper truths because that's what the fairy story or the mythos mythology is is really doing. Um, the so I wrinkle think, in time. I think a lot of these these young kind of child stories okay. that we, we pick up when they're when they're written well from a, a good worldview, good perspective. Um, the imagination is filled with the possibility for how to truly live life well. So mm. I love the, uh, I mean, just so many of the stories of kind of journeying, overcoming, um, suffering well, battling, um, and seeing the end, the end of a story as a child because you're so young. You like, I've got five, 10 years under my belt, and I, I can't even really conceptualize the end of my life at that time. And yet, through narrative, through story, I get this this end where, oh, that's how the story, everything came to this conclusion. Yeah, yeah. And you get this, this knowledge at a young age that you're living in a narrative and that eventually you will have an end. And you kind of, oh, my life, I, I may not understand this, but this is going to uh, come to an end. And that end point for us is death. Um, and that's kind of the, the conclusion to where our story now can be seen as this whole uh, you can kind of step back and Yeah, it and has see the an parks. arc and, a, yeah,
1: fullness. Did you, uh, now you're younger than me, five, ten years, I forget. Um, uh, probably eight. <laughs> eight years younger. Did you have, when you were a kid, the, there was like a Pizza Hut contest, and if you read a lot of books, you could
0: get personal pan pizzas. I didn't have the Pizza We had the Denver Public Library had like this reading summer program where if we read, oh, out My mom used to take us to that, do that stuff. And we'd get all these prizes as you go. It used to be awesome. And some of them were like coupons and stuff yeah, too. Yeah, we had, no,
1: I think Pizza Hut actually was like teaming up with the schools to do That's these fun. reading programs. And shout out Pizza Hut. You're cool. <laughs> and I owe you. I worked for you. So I yeah. paid my dues, but... Uh, they have a good personal pan pizza too, but oh, it's dude. like swimming in grease. Yeah, I hate but to when tell you want you, it? that deep dish. Oh man, it's so <laughs> good. Um, so read books. I think just because it's, it came to mind, I'll mention that one of my top books. This is not for you children. This is not Wrinkling Time. <laughs> is Man's Search for Meaning? Victor Frankl. Oh yeah. So if you have not read that to the adult audience, it's it's a, a, a psychologist's reflections of his own time yeah. in auschwitz and like what yeah. his how he found happiness and peace peace mm-hmm. and even ah, happiness is a weird word because it's it's all about meaning, yeah. Logos meaning. therapy yeah, yeah and has there's satisfaction there even in a concentration yeah. camp but it does involve the desperate life and terror of a concentration camp so mm-hmm. i'm not
0: recommending this for your children yeah, not an easy read, but not a very long read either. No? Very well worth the time. But it's super profound. Yep.
1: Super. It's one of those. You, that'll stick with you even more than wind in the willows. Yes. <laughs> well, on that note, what brings us together today, Father Mike? Does anyone have objections to this man and this man <laughs> uh, giving Mar-wage. a podcast, talking about marriage? <laughs> does anybody do that? My cousin asked me that. If anybody still does... Uh, Does anyone here have any reason that these two should not be married? Please stand or forever
0: hold your peace. As far as I'm aware, that was never actually or should have been within a Catholic uh, wedding. But maybe I'm wrong with that. No, I agree. um, Although
1: I do like the wisdom of forever hold your
0: peace. (laughs) Definitely forever hold your peace. (laughs) Just keep your mouth Um, shut. (laughs) I mean, the idea is if if there's impediments, those should come to light before. But that shouldn't be coming to light. In the midst In the, of the ceremony. Right. Uh, you know, that's part of, part of marriage prep that we do with couples. Um, Maybe
1: they should do what they do for the, um, for the, voc- for the ordinations, where they say, has this couple been found worthy? <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> <laughs> After
0: surveying the Christian people, this couple has been found yeah. worthy. To and then married. the
1: maid of honor <laughs> says, worthy. And then the best man says, <laughs> worthy. Well, bring that to the
0: bishop or something.
1: I guess they do. We have them have MB forms signed. Yeah, well, there's MB a... MB form is like your friend or your family mm-hmm. member saying, this person is mature enough to get married and free. Yeah,
0: and it's kind of like an interview type almost. Um, is this person, Other impediments? Are they free? Yeah. Are they?
1: yeah. And then we say, forever hold your peace. <laughs> Although we don't actually say that. So your sister just got married. Oh, yeah. Married. My sister, Marsha, just got married. Congratulations. Well, at this point, a couple and months Marshall ago. So. We're recording. It was la- this last Saturday. Yeah. Had all the family in town.
0: Um, great festivities. It Weddings was. are so much fun. And then I'm always just super tired afterwards, though.
1: It's true. Right. And I, I feel it. In fact, I was sickly yesterday. And I think it's probably the momentum of... <laughs> the just the energy, man, the excitement. I was more nervous about this wedding than I've ever been for any Mass in my life. Do you know that? Any Mass in my life. Even my first Mass, I was more nervous. I did think you, do,
0: you did the wedding for your younger sister, too, right? I have. Yeah, so this, I
1: have, that's done other, strange. But there were more priests there. Okay. It was it the cathedral, maybe more family members. Mm. Um, it's Marsha, who is probably my closest sibling. Yeah. And then... Uh, so you want to get it right for them, or you just—I don't know what it is. There's like a performance anxiety. Uh, you just a stage fright, maybe. And then I went to the hospital for a, a sick call for like two hours, three hours the day of, the night before. Night before. So it was like I was also very tired. Yeah, but it was it was nerve wracking, but so beautiful. But they're married. They're and married. You danced, and I shouldn't and take ate. the attention off of them. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's <laughs> part of the joy is that it's not about the priest. Yeah, it really isn't. There's a lot of expectations and weight on how are you going to yeah. preach,
0: but it doesn't really matter. Catholic stuff. You should know who is the minister of the sacrament of marriage. Ding ding ding! Is this a quiz? Yeah, quiz show for me.
1: Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I am raising my hand. Ah, follow uh, Mike. It's the bride and the groom. Exactly. Are the ministers of uh, the sacrament yeah. of marriage. So the
0: priest uh, is the church's public witness and blesses. And blesses. Um, and, and, and there's canonical form where you, you need to um, do the law of the church, uh, need to have the marriage in a suitable place, witnessed by the church, blessed by the church, et cetera, et cetera. But the minister um, is the couple, the spouse, in their consent to each other. Mm-hmm. not uh that the priest now says you're married but that they right. give they give each other and then the sacrament takes
1: place within a mass mm-hmm. rather it's not the mass yep. it, that is the sacrament yep the mass is its own sacrament but this mm-hmm. happens within the, on the stage of a mass yep you know the great sacrifice of Christ it's a fitting um what Situation, Circumstance?
0: Yeah. venue. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit too, about how they kind of mirror each other. But yeah. They've we, so we talked about one of the great analogy of the eschaton, the the end time, the full uh, full fruition of what God has done. Uh, the image is the wedding feast. Well, wait, let's back the up. The wedding feast of the lamb You
1: can't jump to the wedding feast of no, the No, no, no.
0: I was just saying, that's where we're going. I'm giving you the, uh, oh, yeah. the teaser.
1: Okay, yeah, Excitement. the trailer.
0: I'm excited,
1: dude. You got me stoked. Uh, the whole topic does. <laughs> uh, let's see. So your sister got married a year ago.
0: Yep. Uh, a year ago in, uh, on the Feast of St. Joseph during Lent. Fun fact, another fun fact, Catholic stuff you should know. You're not allowed to get married during Lent, but you are allowed to get married on solemnities. It's, tra- so it's traditional married. that you don't get married yeah. during Lent, but yeah. it's not, well, like, illegal. Yeah. Or invalid. Yeah. Generally speaking, you will not get a, a wedding scheduled during Lent for fitting reasons. But Sunday during Lent, you can get married. Yeah. And solemnity is during Lent, you can get married. Right on. Uh, you don't get to choose your readings because you that's have right. to do the readings of the day. But that's why they'll, they'll schedule Masses on the Feast of St. Joseph or Sundays or um, any other major feasts that might happen during Lent.
1: Ah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. We made a lot of exceptions in covid and
0: you can find exceptions sometimes yeah, not a hard and fast with your past. there's a difference between a uh, uh, divine law that uh, from revelation and cannot be changed and then there's kind of um fitting, fittingness th- fittingness as well as then there's there's laws that the church uh, can implement and establish that do not allow um, certain things to happen in certain places so
1: but the idea being lent is a penitential season it's yeah. supposed to be depressed so don't not have a big a wedding happy
0: feast time the
1: uh, (laughs) moment or whatever well so let's i'm gonna back it up okay because i want to talk about how this is original let's get back to the garden baby back to the garden um the first words that are said by any human beings according to judeo-christian tradition are this one
0: at last at
1: last (laughs) my love (laughs) has come along um, that's right. At last.
0: Yeah.
1: Adam wakes up in the garden. He had been put to sleep. He's been looking for someone to satisfy him, a companion that's fit for him, a helpmate because he needs help. And he has been given all the animals and they say, you know, they are helpful. So, so far as like they can
0: pull a plow. Yeah. And it's nice. There's a dog that's playing around. Yeah. You know, they could follow on him, but your newspaper <laughs> you can feed them and be
1: happy the eden times you can <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly who writes it uh, <laughs> it's not very exciting when adam finds his own paper so yeah so god puts him to sleep pulls out a rib fashions a woman and they have they have come from being one they are one they're meant yep. to be one and when he sees her for the first time he says, This
0: one at last is bone of my bone, flesh last, of my flesh.
1: At last I found my lover and can be in communion, basically. And then what the does God garden. tell them? So the garden hasn't been done until Ma- mm. uh, Mary, Eve, <laughs> kind of. Eve is the last thing to be created, uh, yep. the kind of the crown of creation, they mm. say. And what, okay, what did you say? I said, And then what did God command them? He said, Go forth and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Why does he say? Why does Adam say? Oh no, no, no! Is it the narrator of Genesis who says? He says, "At last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh," and then it says, "This is why a man leaves his mother and father and clings to his wife," something like that. And the two become one. Like, yeah. why is there? It, it's not Adam speaking; mm-hmm. otherwise, he wouldn't have a mother and father.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the kind of the comment in. He
1: just came from the
0: dust. Um, well, and and this is. When fast forward to the gospel, when Jesus is being questioned about divorce, this is the scene that he comes back right. to. Um, and there's something about this, this uh, from the beginning, this narrative oh, yeah. points to the two becoming one. There's something yeah. profound about this. And um, that means like... And a, so they leave and become one. They're no longer principally the son of the father or the mother, but the, so it's, it's pointing back. Um, the The big word is uh, protology, so before uh, oh, yeah that the the time before the fall and kind of historical man that we know uh, in the state of original sin kind of is now progressing through history towards. Uh, the Christ event, and then from the Christ event, we're heading towards the end, which is eschatology. So the beginning and the end, protology, eschatology. But protology is the study of of man in the garden, man before. Who was man? Who was man and woman? In innocence, original grace, original holiness, united together. And so what the, the commenter here, even in the Genesis narrative, is pointing to say, this is how man was created. This is who man really is we get the fall in Genesis three mm. and then we get, this is the state man is now in, but this is who man really is. Yeah. And so because this is who man really is and was created to be, there's something profound about the two becoming one flesh of, of and I think that's where the narrator's going.
1: All right. So I like this theme and it's kind of like uh, the kerygma is, is some, some of the essential buckets of the story. And we find ourselves in part two of the story. First, the beginning is creation and protology, that is the original innocence, mm-hmm. happiness, harmony in the garden. And then you have the rest of time where we fall. Then we have um, salvation, part three, that Jesus is doing right now. Mm-hmm. And it, we, he began and finished all at once and yeah. the cross 2,000 years ago that is also happening eternally right now. And then so the world is being saved, and then we're headed in the direction of heaven and the coming of the kingdom. So that's part four. We're in part two and three. We're both fallen and redeemed. Yes. And so what does that look like for us? There's a video that my freshman theology professor (laughs) in high school used to show us called Koyaanaskatsi. And it's like 40 minutes of this narrators chanting Koy-on-! and then it's like showing violent imagery of Ooh. volcanoes and power plants burning down and war and people screaming at each other and it's terrifying <laughs> it's <"Koy-on-y-scot-si-." laughs> I don't even know what it means except probably like chaos and disaster mm. and, and bad and terror and all these things so yeah you think of what what is the world let's get real it's got a lot of good and then it's got a lot of bad. And the fact is that in the real world you have wars and they, from afar, you can say, well, just stop fighting. But when you're in it or you've been attacked or you feel this desperation that you have to attack, then somehow war happens in the world. That's real. And pray God that we're not in the middle of it, but there are, Mm -hmm. you know, there really are people. And, it's been as part of our story, our human story for a very long time. It need not be. Can't yeah. you just look and say, why don't we all get along? This is, it affects us. You know, theologians will talk about it very abstractly of like weakened will and mm-hmm. um, confused intellect and um, a propensity toward imbalance of the passions and bad behavior and all these things. But I want to get like more specifically, it's like, well, 20% of American children don't have fathers mm-hmm. and the Marriage is really hard because people fight, and yep. there's a war between genders right now where women hate men and men hate women even though they're not allowed to say it anymore. And the it's hard to be a child. You get bullied and you feel alienated, and in some ways you resent your parents, but you depend on them. and mm. Or you go and you're unconnected. Individualism is, and, and loneliness, isolation, yep. despair.
0: Which uh, is, is almost an inversion of if the husband and the wife clinging together, becoming one flesh, and departing from the the parents is not, um, there's an inversion of that where it's now a a rejection of the parents. There's, Mm. I'm going to be my own. I'm going to choose my own way. You've done nothing good for me. So there's a war, war between parents and children, children, Mm. parents, um, you know, husbands and wives, siblings. And uh, there's an interesting, because Christ says, you know, "I've, (laughs) I've come to, one of the hardest things, I've come to bring division they're strife mm. and that's like what what do you mean what do unless you, say about you hate guy? your and so it's like whoa well, what's going on there um and then with the world today we're being encouraged um to kind of hate to to break off with the family if your family doesn't accept uh what you identify as you're supposed to cut ties um and it's just like ooh, i don't know about that um,
1: do you think i should blame freud and marx as much as I do, or am I just identifying these are the ones who have put their finger on the reason we do this. Is this a perennial reality of the fall? This this way that we point fingers and hate each other <laughs> and commit like patricide. And What I mean by that is Freud told you um, the reason that we're broken is because we were traumatized when we were young. So you need to figure out where your parents screwed you up and then you can be free. You can be happy. You can be at peace. You can be um, therapized, he- healed, <laughs> right? And so there's a presumption that it's, it was in my upbringing, that parents did something wrong. And he, I, I don't think it's that simple, but th- you'll find that. You'll yeah. find that plenty seeped into the culture. Yeah. And then Marx, of course, has like a, on a larger scale, everybody is a victim or a victor. Mm-hmm. And if you're a victim, like you're the weak one, you're either the weak or the strong. If you're the weak one, your role Your happiness, your, your meaning is to revolt and um, topple the power structures and in the family and in culture like ours, this can be communicated as like the best thing you could do is to no longer be the weak one, not be the one being told Uh, what to do. Not
0: a psychologist, a (laughs) plague, like sandbox historian and a budding theologian. I'm going to respond to that. Yes and no. <laughs> For don't, <laughs> should, question, should I accuse, of the, you accuse the fall? Them? or no, did you accuse them? Freud and Marx. Freud and Marx. Um, I don't think you accuse them too much because I think their error is absolutizing it. Okay. Um, they are seeing something. They, they're pointing they're to making truth it up no. that is just perennial, mm. but they're absolut- absolutizing it, and they're forgetting about protology and eschatology. They're saying man is, by nature, the fallen nature of man. And we say, in our anthropology, mm. no. Man was created in original holiness, in the state of innocence, fell through sin, and now we're historically in this state of original sin, but then we're also redeemed through Christ, going to uh, an eternal beatitude, an end times, a, a full recapitulation yeah. where Christ's victory is won. And But so, when
1: you say, you, you can hear in the popular, this is just to expand on your point, you hear in the popular culture, it's just human nature, yeah. which always is a negative thing. But this is saying for Christians, human nature nature is is not principally the fundamentally good. good. But now it's
0: flawed. So what uh, Freud, Marx, Nietzsche—you know—people who say, "Oh, human nature," what they're pointing at is a true reality of our experience. Um, Post-fall, there's less less uh, um, abstract. There's four effects that you can read. Catechism presents it really well. The four effects of the fall are a relationship between man and God, ourselves and God is disrupted, our relationships between other people are disrupted, our relationship with ourself is disrupted, and our relationship with the rest of creation is disrupted. So sin Mm. has disintegrated what was integrated and in harmony. Mm. And so that's what you're seeing now. Mark sees the between people, between people and nations disruption mm-hmm. um freud sees that kind of the between, rich and the poor yeah. between people and between themselves so something within you got mm. disordered and disoriented he then blames the, the parents or the culture or whatever yeah or the circumstances, get, you know, circumstance circumstance you so you've got to overcome it um so you're you're seeing the fruit of original sin uh in these conflicts between man and god between man and other men or men and women and then between yourself your internal like turmoil you're mm. not always anybody can just look and say i have not always been really in harmony with with my own self i don't even understand myself saint paul why do i do the things i do not want to do you yeah know? um so there's this tension uh, disorder A sort of chaos,
1: disorder
0: that and then even with the world division might be another good word yeah like opposed to communion yeah. communion and so then with the world obviously you know we can we were supposed to shamar the garden to till to keep to tend to help the garden be fruitful and multiply, to protect and care for the animals that they may be rightly ordered in justice, uh, living as animals are, so that all may glorify God. And then instead, you know, I think there's evidence uh, all around us of how we're not really taking that shamar stewardship Mm. of the earth. well. Except David Attenborough. (laughs) David Attenborough, (laughs) uh, throwback. Um, So we see this, we see this, and that's why, you know, when, when Pope Francis released, you know, Encyclical La Data see, Like, this is actually a really Christian issue because mm-hmm. we are supposed to engage with the world in a proper way. And as Christians redeemed, what does that look like? Um, to not just let uh, market capital and, and um, technological progress rule everything with how we, we treat the world mm-hmm. or people. We also do this technologically. We can do this. Therefore, we can treat people X, Y, Z. Because we can technologically abort within the womb. Sure, you can do that. Because we can technologically produce children in a lab. Sure, you can do that. No, it's not. Just because we can technologically do something, we can manipulate yeah, yeah. matter that we should be able to. We're supposed
1: to. to care for and appreciate and celebrate. The, okay, so that's part two. Koryanaskatsi, <laughs> the, the fall, the brokenness, yeah. the this disintegration in these four categories. Do you think it's wrong for me, and then we'll get back to marriage, of course. Um, Do you think it's wrong for me to call it metaphorical, to say our protology is metaphorical in terms of it's less important that it was a moment in time where a decision was made to eat the fruit so much as you're looking at, um, not to say that that's not true. I think it's important that there was a time when and a time when, but that Maybe the story is primarily metaphorical insofar it's saying this is what's possible for a human being. We look at each other and we know that it's possible for us to live in harmony with God, to live in harmony with each other, to live in harmony with nature and with ourselves. Yeah. And that would be beautiful. That is paradise. And what we long for is for that which is the highest um, possibility for us and the yeah. most noble kind of life that we don't have. So and that, qual- that, that, that makes us sad.
0: Qualified, uh, yes, the story itself, the Genesis story itself, is read in a poetic uh, kind of mythos, metaphorical way. It can't be read in a strict metaphor that, oh, this is just a pointing to what could be. It is also what was. Yeah, it happened. Because I lived if, through it. If, if there wasn't a state of original innocence, then what we live now is human nature. Yeah, I see what you're saying, and yeah, there's yeah, a break yeah. there, and we, we can't say that, and and it's dogmatically defined. Catholic councils have said uh, there is an original man and woman who, by their sin, spread sin to the rest of humanity. Yeah, that from one yeah, yeah, man that's entered sin. So orthodox. So we have to. <laughs> so yeah. So from catechesis. theology catechesis one hundred and one. But I think there is something.
1: I think there's something you can honestly say about the metaphor of.
0: But I think that's, that's you know, it points to the theologians to inspired who you were is looking be, looking at ourselves and then how you can become and from Genesis two or sorry Genesis three after the fall we get what's called the proto evangelium where there's a promise of mm-hmm. this redemption mm-hmm. so in in the first four books we've already got how God created originally and good and called everything good and everything was created good and we're in innocence then we fell and then we're kicked out of the garden and then with that though, where everything's proclaimed that there will, you know, there will be strife between the man and the woman. There will be pain in childbirth. You will toil against the earth. All of these things I talked about. These four uh, divisions or um, kind of combatants now, uh, because of sin, are there. We also have this seed of the of the gospel, this protoevangelium, the first gospel, where God says to Adam and Eve that the um, Satan, the serpent, and his offspring will be battling against the offspring, the seed of the woman. The serpent will strike at your heel, but the seed of woman will crush its head. And so this is the promise of God as he is casting Adam and Eve out of the garden that he has not abandoned them. He's just provided them clothing. He's provided them protection from the elements. He's told them what's going to happen, but he's also saying, but from your seed will come a redemption that will crush the serpent. And so from there we see the first promise of Christ. Um, now this has worked out in salvation history for the rest of time. But um, so but you got to you remember the the curses. So the man's going to be
1: treat the woman poorly this way, okay. and relate to the world and poorly. The, and the, the woman's going to treat and you know. Uh, the man this way and relate to the world this way. Yep. So there, th- he's talking about this breakdown. But then he's saying, "Here's what's going to be redeemed, and this yeah. is what salvation will look like from God."
0: And we see immediately after this the Cain and Abel story, where fratricide happens, where the brother murders the brother. So yeah. all the war, the strife, everything Family that you were broken. just talking about way before, all that is immediately follows upon sin, and sin will always breed more sin. Yep, yep. Um, East of Eden, we talked about, but Father John and I, we have this promise of of the redemption. Now, why do we have this promise? All right, wait, can I ask about the original holiness and marriage? That's where I'm going. And marriage. That's where I'm going. So the reason we have this promise is because God created us with this original plan. And before the fall, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And we call the the image of the one flesh union. Um, John Paul II talks about the spousal meaning of the body, the spousal union, the, the image that is being spoken of, of the two becoming one flesh that we read in Genesis, and that's why they, man will leave his, or his parents and be joined to his wife. We have this one flesh union, this spousal meaning of the body, which is actually meaning a full self-gift, a full gift of the self to the other that they might receive and become this one. And this is called the primordial sacrament. Sacrament means sign. Sign, yeah. sign. So God, in creating man and woman to become one, the body has this sign value of two becoming one in in flesh. And so here we already see this this seed of the sign of God wanting to dwell with man, of God, of the incarnation even, that there's a, there's a sign value of God coming to dwell with us uh, within the self-gift. Um, and it comes from the freedom. The spousal meaning of the body doesn't mean, oh, you're a man, you're a woman, therefore you get married. That's the end of the story. The spousal meaning is that you get to give yourself fully as God gives himself fully over. So the spousal meaning is more about the self-gift than just strictly um, sex difference. Now, we get that because man and woman are complementary and can give themselves as such. But the freedom to give yourself, uh, JP Two talks in his Theology of the Body, he says, people who do not have self-mastery, do not even know, cannot even dream of the joys of the freedom of self-gift. Because you have to have a self-mastery over yourself, over your passions, over um, your life, that you can then freely give yourself fully. So you can't freely give yourself unless you have a custody of yourself. Yeah, it's and not so, your gift. So original innocence, original holiness, there's no disintegration from sin. They're able to be giving themselves fully as gift, which is imaging principally the Trinitarian total self-gift of the three persons. And so that's what this original sign value of man and woman is, is is to coming from as created in the image and likeness of God, we can then see how we image that in this total self-gift, this spousal meaning. One thing I love about that
1: is that the definition of, or, or our understanding of the ideal of paradise that we're getting back to and that God is by his grace restoring is not just the superficial imagery i think that the imagery is good in itself it's a man and a woman go forth and multiply so there's Mm -hmm. this perspective of a family and then it's within a garden so you can look at the the paradise of there's always plenty to eat and there's never any want so there's not jealousy and there's not um envy everybody's naked and unashamed and so there's freedom and peace and there's no judgment and um, there's all of these characteristics that I think sometimes people reduce this happy family to the Leave It to Beaver. Did you ever watch Leave <laughs> It to Beaver?
0: <laughs> Leave It to Beaver or uh, what's the other one? Uh, I'm blanking now.
1: But so yeah. the fun irony for me is in Leave It to Beaver you have this kind of idyllic heavenly, paradisal family, you know, the mm. the perfect situation where there's, you know, two kids who are little rascals and sweet, and there's a husband and a wife who always get along, and they have a, you know, shiny car, shiny house, shiny yard, and um, there's it's always a, a kind of a sitcom, wah, wah adventure, <laughs> you know, uh, comedy, and it's I, I love the, that the irony is it's black and white. <laughs> you can never watch it with actual complexity because it's not real, and it's it's over idealistic um, to the max. Yeah. But is that the Christian thing? Is like well yeah, but in heaven, it will be like that. It will be idyllic like that. Everything will be shiny and everybody will be wah wah <laughs> so happy about it, even the you know yeah. the tragic things. But I like that you're talking about it being relational. So so what should I want for my sister?
0: Well, I'm I want forward. happiness,
1: but I, I don't just want middle American happiness. Yeah. What I want for them is an, a, a place of love that is self-gift, self-sacrifice, mm-hmm. having an object to exercise charity, and walking through life that way. The two shall become one. So the church, in the vows, in the consent, it does say for better, for worse, for richer, for worse, mm-hmm. in sickness and in health. doesn't say... And it, it does say, may the, may the Lord bless you with children mm-hmm. and that you will live to see your children's children after yeah, and there's and happy marriage. years and stuff. Um, but, but it's like, well, what is paradise? And I just, I want to encourage, I want to search out and like explore, not necessarily with this conversation, but this is one of my life projects is, well, what is Christian marriage look like? Especially mm-hmm. once you've, if you've grown up living through war, can you ever have a sense of what's normal? If someone said, well, you know, this is normal. Now you're now you're freed from that chaos. Just live a normal life. And I think it's very hard to understand what normal is or what life would be other than just survival. And yeah. I think that can be true about the chaos of a lot of family life mm-hmm. that we've seen. So hard of the, part of the balance is how do we uphold an ideal without being judgmental? Yeah. It's like... There are a lot of Christians and a lot of Catholics, unfortunately, and I don't want to be that priest, who say, well, no, nah, you grew up with a screwed up family, so you're probably never going to understand. Or you have a hard time kind of fitting into this middle American standard, yeah. so you're probably never going to be, you well, know.
0: Part of the error is we real. Christian. O- we often think of our vocation as the end itself. We think of marriage, once I have a good marriage, that's that's my fulfillment, that's my end. But your marriage isn't your end. Your vocation as a priest. My vocation is not the end. It's a means, uh, a way. Um, the church understands the vocation of marriage and priesthood as missional, on mission. They are, they're at the service of the church, of others. They're not the end. The end is union with God. The end is the, the fullness of redemption. And so marriage, um, we're not seeking an idyllic paradise that we build on our own and put up a wall around us in marriage. Marriage now is a sacrament. It's not a project. Not just the proto-sacrament that points to God's full self-gift, but it is a sacrament now whereby we receive grace to live conjugal charity amongst uh, the spouses, to the families, and then to the community around them that not a project to build a paradise for themselves, but to participate in the self-giving love of Christ. The, the Byzantine um, Ruthenian rite of marriage, I think a lot of the Eastern churches, there's a crowning of the couple. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not like, oh, you're the king and the queen of your house now. It's the crowns of martyrdom right. as the symbol because you are laying your life down for another. There's no greater love than this to than to lay your life down for another. Yeah. You are doing what Christ did on the cross for your spouse. Olo and I did an, uh, an episode on the crowns of marriage yep. in his Byzantine, mm-hmm. right, about a million years ago. Yeah. So you've got this, this image of the self-gift, the total self-gift. Well, what does Jesus also say? In heaven it will not be so. Marriage. you have give given, taken marriage now, but in heaven it will not be yeah, so. Yeah, there's no marriage. There is no marriage in heaven. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's the sign of this total union with God where we receive God's self-gift to us and we give ourselves fully to him. That's the principal end of this. Marriage isn't the end itself, but it's the sign of how God desires to be in relation to us. Um, Do you think there's going to be, there's
1: obviously not going to be an exclusivity, but will there be like this privileged relationship between a husband and a wife? Forever I think, um, in heaven. I think. I think it would be really weird if it'd it be wasn't. weird if
0: it wasn't. I think there's a the relationality in and how you related and knew. I mean, the fact that um, presumably, if you both make it to heaven, it's a, in large part because of the other person. Mm-hmm. And we know our life and our entire story. Back to stories, right? We have an end, mm-hmm. and so all the parts make sense. Um, we'll see how that person aided us and how we aided that person, and all of that will glorify God. Um, so there, there will be a particularity of. I mean, I, I think not just with your your spouse, but with your friends, with the priest brothers that you have, with uh, the saints who kind of adopted you from heaven and have been praying for you. I think there's particular kind of patron saints that look mm-hmm. over people. Mm-hmm. I think there will be a Bonds. certain there will be a certain mm-hmm. uh, element of heaven where we say, "Oh wow, Padre Pio, you were really helping me out there." Therese, you were praying for me there, whatever it may be. Um, which is, is not so much uh, an exclusivity, but a particularity of, of God works through mediation with each each person um, to others, and so we will see how that operates and we'll know. But, I mean, what heaven will be is this this glorified body um, rejoicing in God, seeing the unmediated vision of God ever fuller but still incomprehensible. I mean, like, what heaven is, is blows your mind. Um now, what do you do with? Because um, we're not going just back to the garden. That's the other thing. God's redemption isn't yeah, just back moves to forward. Eden. Yeah, there's, there's no, there's redemption, which is the, um, you know, redemption from the the pains of sin, the law of death, um, and then we're given the gift of the supernatural raising into charity to receive God into us in the Holy Spirit, that we can become friends with God and then enter into this eternal kind of heavenly relationship with God which is beyond us. We call it our supernatural end. Um, and so that's, that's beyond what the garden was. Um, so we're not just going back to the garden. We're not creating Eden again. But that's what a lot of the um, kind of utopian, materialist utopian worldviews, communism, Marxism was saying, we need this great revolution that the classes will uh, revolt against each other. Everything will be torn down and then man can get back to the garden effectively. That was the promise of Marxism. Yeah. We tear down these structures and therefore provision we're for back everyone. in the garden. But it's not going back to the garden in that sense. It's we're, we're heading into this union with God.
1: Yeah. I think there's a kind of tension that I see with, what do I want my sister to hope for? And I found that to be a beautiful kind of challenge because on the one hand, you should hope for, I mean, what is what is paradise, or what is marriage and what are its aims? On the one hand, yeah, we we express this blessing: may you be blessed with children, be you know happy, live to a happy old age, so your grandchildren, your, your children's, children's children. children, and they all go to Ivy League schools and play professional <laughs> oh, we, sports, we and um, <laughs> rule the world, and have you know all of their money. But they're also like the best people ever, and they um, you know give a lot to charities and they and your people all make you proud and then you live, you know, rocking in your rocking chair, looking at how awesome you, you proved yourself to be through this family life and, um, how you're all like looking awesome when you're 80 and feeling good. And, um, there are things that we wish for people. I'm not sure that that's bad. Is it no. bad to wish for those good things? No, I think, I think but it's good to wish for a good, that's not the point, but that's right? not the
0: end. And the big, the big thing is, um, you i think the best thing we can wish is that people will live within the providence and the will of god mm. and in your family that now has particular blessings going back to the ruthenian rite, part of that crowning of martyrdom is that you're you're partaking through marriage in some of the joys of the wedding feast of heaven mm. that's how we use it we we're going back to the beginning jesus uses his uh, the wedding banquet image that the joys of the wedding banquet will be what the heavenly feast is that mm. will be rejoicing for eternity in the eternal moment of god um again hard i like can't describe it so it's praise so the couple but the couple enjoy like the delight in the crowns of martyrdom a portion of the delight of heaven through their marriage it's not that you should like hate each other <laughs> i mean absolutely yeah, not but it's not that you should always be suffering and there should be no joys in mean, the the couple participates in these great joys um the, the marital embrace is a great joy the children are a great joy that they may live to an old age to see their children's children to see the continuation uh, it's a great joy but again is not the end in and of itself and I just want to point out I don't
1: know like the, the solution or the the answer what is the end is at the at the end of the day it's the same for everybody with whatever vocation it's charity mm-hmm. it's charity it's love and it's love of the mm-hmm those who are in most need of love. So I think you could call it a success in a different way. So that's one picture of success is the sort of leave it to beaver household. Um, the other picture of success might be you were, you were good at charity alone and you loved the poor. I made a point of this for, for Marsha and Mike at the wedding that they are very, I'm proud of them because they're lovers of the poor. They care about the poor. Together, you're unstoppable Mm -hmm. as um, workers of charity, as an engine for love in the world, taking care of those in most need and of helping people profoundly. And if you can look back on your life and see that you helped people and that you exercised charity... Then that's a successful marriage, yeah. And that's the mission. That's a different picture. Missional I mean, element. You could just be laying on your his his cousin um, or great aunt or something like that. She was on her in her sickbed for I think like forty years, mm-hmm. and she's um, a beatitude going to be canonized or whatever. Lazeri, hmm. right? the you know, this guy that my sister just married. But think of that life. That's a holy life. That's a a. a life of martyrdom and of charity. She yeah. spent it praying for people and uniting her suffering to Christ. That is not leave it to beaver. That yeah. would make for a really pathetic show <laughs> and it would not make us ha- all happy. We don't want to yeah. live that life. But I just say that because I know that marriage is much more complicated than, than we judge it. Yeah, <clears throat> And is we often judge things way too superficially. Just an
0: ideal or a superficial thing.
1: And I just want to reorient the the hopes for that. And the hopes should be that every day we exercise charity, and this was an opportunity Mm -hmm. and and a venue for charity. I was given someone to love, not to love me, kind of. To love and to
0: receive love. Uh, You you have to receive the gift as well. A gift can be rejected.
1: But that's why the right says, I promise to be faithful to you, to love and respect you through these good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. It doesn't say, like, when we're having our family and we're going to the lacrosse game and we're going, you know, and we're, it's like, you know, and going to graduation. And then when I get to Mm -hmm. walk her down the aisle and
0: all of these sort of cliches, you know, and one of the cool things with the the rings, a lot of times people think the ring is a reminder that they're married or what they've promised. But in the right, when you receive the ring, you say receive this ring as a sign of my love and fidelity for you. Mm. So the ring, when you look down on your ring, you see your spouse's vows to you. Mm. You see their promise, and yeah. that promise that they have given to you, that they have consecrated you with, grounds you in your mission in this life. That they are the one. Um, so it's it's not uh, yeah, it's not like oh, I did that thing and I made this person. Like no, that on my finger is my spouse's someone's promise promise to me, That's to cool. me I like in that. their vows. And so uh, with that, the beautiful thing of the family, I you know being servants to the poor together is wonderful mm-hmm. but within the family structure you have so much to to love to forgive <laughs> yeah <laughs> with within to your spouse, the poverty within, of the, your, within your own children um every parent is the first catechist of their child you partake in the great commission to proclaim the gospel to all nations by proclaiming the gospel to your children now sin happens people leave the faith your children might not be practicing you might have made mistakes uh, i've got a, a well, some wonderful friends, they told me, um, when we got married, we promised to each other that we would commit and make none of the same mistakes raising our children that our parents made for us. And uh, guess what happened? And I said, uh, you made those? She's like, oh, no, no, we didn't make any of those mistakes. We came up with a whole list of yeah, new ones, it's you know? All, it's like, the other yes, ones. there's fallen nature. You know, we are still affected by sin, jealousy, concupiscence, whatever. But we repent, we forgive, we heal. Um, and that doesn't mean there's not really hard situations. And sometimes separation needs to happen for the safety of parties. That's not the disillusion of marriage. It's not a remarrying, but there might be a separation that needs to happen. Sometimes sin gets in the way. Sometimes children cut off ties. Sometimes children aren't practicing any Whatever it may be, we, we can get into the too idyllic mode of saying, oh, you right. failed. Um, and it's like, well, yeah, there's failure because there's sin in the world, and we all have it. But we seek the redemption in forgiveness with Christ. We seek his promises. Uh, we trust in him. And I think that's where, you know, for my sister, I hope, I hope and I pray that there's always that, you uh, know, mm-hmm. that support amongst the two, as the two journeying through life now as one towards heaven, that they they will always be able to support each other in the good times and the bad. And that's a joy. Mm-hmm. When you suffer something well together, that unites you even more. Yeah, um, But if it's, if marriage is my end, and I'm building my garden of Eden as my marriage, as soon as something isn't right, as soon as he loses his job, as soon as you know the attraction disappears, kid gets as sick, soon, it's like, or a kid dies, I mean, or I've a seen, spouse dies, it's like, well, now what?
1: Yeah, I we failed know. in this project, or God doesn't love me, or. Yeah. so that's a, and and I think I also want by saying that the marriage itself as a project is not the end. It's not to try to figure out successfully how you can have the best family you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's it's this exercise of, of charity that is this common project for all the Christians that we should yeah. be our, our measure. I say that in part also because there were a lot of single people at the at the wedding who would like to be married mm-hmm. or people who rush into something. or And... I, it's just that's not going to be your happiness, not eternally. Yeah, it's it's that I'm happy for my sister, and mm-hmm. it is a joy. That we wouldn't want it if it wasn't a joy. Yeah, but it's not really. It's like a it's like a helpful thing toward the end, which is
0: yeah. uh, a life of love, a to life more fully of love. Final point then is how celibacy, or the vowed, consecrated virgin, or professed brother who takes the perpetual vow of, of celibacy. Um, Chastity, priests who don't don't marry. Um, how if if this spousal meaning is everything of, of how God, you know, is the primordial sacrament, well, that's fulfilled now in baptism and giving ourselves fully over to God. Now there's a sacramental participation in this in a way with marriage, and in a way with kind of the consecrated vowed life. Um they both work together. Before Christ came again, we had the proto-evangelium, the son, the seed of woman. Will rise up and crush the, Satan, the, the, the serpent that is Satan. So, for the Israelite people, bearing children was super important. So, uh, not having children was seen as a, a curse barrenness was was because you'd sinned or God was punishing you because the blessing was going to come through the children, through the bearing of the children that the seed would come that eventually the Savior, oh, the, it's your legacy. The, the Messiah would be here, right? We uh, uh, In the Psalms, um, you know, the uh, sons of men are a blessing uh, like a quiver full of arrows. Mm-hmm. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. I can't remember exactly the, the Psalm, but there's all this imagery of, of the great fruitfulness. Well, just as we read the, the parable of the seed, unless the seed dies, falls and dies, and bears many, many fruit. Um, or if it doesn't die, it will not bear much fruit. Well, we have the spiritual fruit. You, have this, you see this in spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers. Um, but we're also participating in that full self-gift to God and the reception of God in a, in a way uh, that is that spousal meaning of the body. And so that's why the, the consecrated now is a eschatological sign, the sign of the end, the sign of what will come. Um, And so whether you're married or you're single or you're consecrated, your principal end is this union with God in total self-gift of yourself to accept the will of the Father. Um, And so from there, it's like, yeah, well, I want to be married or I want to be a priest. Well, sometimes things happen where you can't be. Things happen to you, but the communion with God can happen regardless, no matter what, in this life and the life to come.
1: I try to remind the the seminarians of this occasionally: is this is your day. It's not when you become a priest. It's not when you get married. This is your today, and this is the day for exercising charity. This is the day for being in communion with God. Why is
0: why is the priesthood and marriage a sacrament? Because you're baptized. Your oh, baptism yeah. okay, is the so principle. It follows. Your baptism is baptism the principle. Baptism the foundation. Yeah, you are made a Christian. You're made priest, prophet, and king with Christ. Yeah, in baptism. And now you have. From a path. that follows you the missional vocations, yeah. which are sacraments of holy orders or of matrimony. Okay. Yeah. And so then from here, which even has a spousal connection, because the the fatherhood of the priest and holy orders is a patrimony and then the matrimony is the mother. So there's this mother father symbol even between the two missional uh, one is to lead, one is to tend oh, to care for. Yeah, so you've got this going on in the two sacraments of vocation that are missional. But what happens if you don't enter into either of those? You're still baptized. You're still have the Holy Spirit in you. You're still united to God in charity, in love, to pour yourself out to him in full self gift. That's what I got well that's beautiful that's a lot on,
1: on marriage, a lot to think about um yeah it's nice to get back into the my head back into the garden and <laughs> just into the ideal I think the the Catholic reality sets up an ideal or theology itself it really just helps you to think about the pro, uh, there's a big project in like applying it at that point of, or so, like how does this hit the ground rubber hit the road and I can tell you what. Lots of, I mean, marriage and family life is messy, (laughs) and it's complex, and you can see that on the horizon. All these speeches talk about. Oh, this is not easy. This is not going to be easy. And then everyone kind of concedes, though. As complex and heartbreaking and tragic as this can be, it's still great. Yeah. And we all want it. And we're happy for you. (laughs) We're not like terrified for you. We're happy for you, and so we dance. (laughs) <laughs> that's all. That's i, am I the Lord
0: of the Dance
1: Dance, dance, wherever you may be. No, no, that's too churchy. Oh, it's got to be like Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. What do we dance to at though? Uh, Whitney Houston.
0: I don't know. Uh, it's been a while since I've danced. Don't you want to it, wanna right? dance? <laughs> I was, I was like I'm thinking of like cha-cha slide and stuff now. Anyway, I, I hate guess we, hate line dancing, <laughs> dude. That's don't my purgatory. That. It's line dancing. Dance, uh, celebrate. Uh, but also know you're in the battle. We're still in that sep- second epoch, redeemed, moving into the third epoch, which is eternity. Um, battle well, forgive often.
1: Yeah, and enjoy it. Enjoy what you uh, what you have. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether good, bad, just life. You know. And I say live it for the for the day, and live it with the best charities you can. Amen. Shout outs. Shout out. Well, I wanted to see, uh, Stephen Pack Quarter. Our wonderful couple who I grew up with and I'm gonna do the wedding for one of their daughters in a month and a half two months and um, they mentioned the Catholic Stuff You Should Know podcast which I am always surprised that people are listening <laughs> <laughs> and God bless it I think we do great good but it's hard to see that from inside you know yeah. and um, so thank you for you know listening watching um, they reminded me of missing some of the Olo and Goble characters in the past, and uh, they weren't like you know it's just, it wasn't a judgment on the show, just a really a celebration of life. Yeah. And they said that you guys are doing a great job, and I agreed. And um, it's fun. I think you guys have been on for more than a year now, no?
0: Yeah, yeah. I started. You're, uh, we last talked about sometime. your sister's I don't know when wedding we started, but yeah, it was definitely kind of right. right Dude, it's been good. Anyway, yeah. it's been so. fun. To the quarters I want to shout out uh, my friend Jonathan, uh, household brother StuMbo, but uh, he lives out here in Denver, and uh, we've gotten we connected. He lives with one of the other household guys, and uh, just kind of connected and been. Which been, been one? Been AMDG. On. AMDG. So uh, yeah, Jonathan, good friend now. Um, uh, stimulating conversations uh, with him. We, we talked about the garden and sin last time we met up. The, uh, original uh, sin and and what that was. Was it because they? Ate a fruit, or was there something deeper? But uh, we'll do another podcast on that another time. We kind of touched on. it we kind of went moving in, but
1: now that's a little teaser
0: for teaser future future conversation. Well,
1: happy um, wedding lifetime, wedding congratulations (laughs) 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 to all of those who will be who are recently married, (laughs) and then we'll be soon be married who are celebrating anniversaries. (sighs) Yeah, we're heading into Um, summertime. There's a lot of weddings, and they're a joy. I'm happy to, you know celebrate with you and then walk through life stay close to your priest don't just make like don't be close in the, the you know marriage prep time but you know stay close i always appreciate that um, yeah. staying
0: friends with the couple it's really cool when you see the priest who like married a couple and then they're baptizing their kids mm-hmm. and then you know 20 years later they're doing the wedding for the kid it's like that's always cool. i love it
1: and it's such a privilege as a brother to be able to do weddings for your siblings it's, uh, you're so proud and Um, humbled and happy just happy for them you know cool cool well uh yeah stay strong there we go have a great summer everybody i don't know when you're gonna get this but summertime (laughs) and the living's easy